rescue and this is the end of the year 2010 and I wanted to try to at least sneak in one more episode in regards to a question that came in about the Good Samaritan law there's actually several questions I'm going to try to address before the end of the year but in case I don't this is quite an important one and I wanted to make sure I got to this one right away the question came in about uh, a person who had just recently gotten their Good Samaritan or excuse me their first responders license in a specific state and was wondering about how the Good Samaritan law would affect them in their state now that they're licensed and they come across a car accident or, or someone out of the professional arena and, and what would they fall under? Would they still fall under a layperson rescuer or would they actually be treated like a professional? It's a great question. Um, I do want to first of all just give you a really good blanket coverage on this and that is check your own state Good Samaritan laws. Each one has an opportunity to vary in its own way, and it, was, it would always be wise for you to check your own state Good Samaritan laws and see what the specific language states. In this particular one, I looked up the state that this person is from, and it's Minnesota, and it basically states the same thing that here in Michigan, it, it, the same thing applies. And that is when you are a professional rescuer off-duty and you're not receiving any money or any type of compensation, you fall under the Good Samaritan Act and civilly you're protected from any lawsuit that would come against you as an omission or a maltreatment as long as you're not willing, willingly or willfully trying to do anything wrong. Um, you're only trying to help them. You would still not be required to help them in the case that you are fearful that there's a problem in the arena that could cause you harm or injury. Um, and so you really still fall under similar things to the Good Samaritan Law for lay people. You can use an AED, you can do care up to a specific level. Um, in fact, that of which you're uh, a level up to which you're trained to do proficiently. But here's the catch, and I really want to say this, and I think this basically is a good broad spectrum standard for anybody, no matter what level of training they, they're licensed at, is that you have to think about the things that you're trained to do and how can you do that the way you're trained in an uncontrolled environment? For instance, if I'm going to do a, let's just say, for instance, I'm trained to be able to do a surgical crike, and I come across a victim who maybe was involved in a snowmobile accident, they have a major throat injury from a line that was run across a farmer's field, and they have a crushed trachea, a torn trachea, and they need they need intervention even though I might be trained how to do a surgical crike and and actually have the equipment in my bag to be able to do the actual incision my training states that I should have medical control a sterile environment suction equipment and so on and so forth and so on I'm not gonna have any of that stuff with me when I'm out in the field when I'm not prepared so could I do that procedure correctly up to my level of training? Probably not. 
So even if you are medically trained to an advanced level, I think what we've got to put into perspective, put into perspective here is, do we really need to use an advanced level training when we're just responding to an emergency in the time that it takes to get an emergency medical service ambulance on scene? And if that's the case, are we really trying to do definitive treatment? I mean, other than giving an aspirin, which is actually okay now to do out in the field under the Good Samaritan Act, under layperson first aid, other than um, assisting in bringing nitroglycerin to the person who's asking for it, other than um, providing CPR, rescue breathing, uh, chest compressions for uh, you know a blockage in the airway, I mean, direct bleeding, all of those kinds of things can all be done at a very basic level and we know that actually this person needs to have advanced medical care in a uh, secondary care facility. So, you know, when we talk about doing all this advanced stuff, like could I use, you know, advanced medications? Could I use advanced intubation equipment? Could I do all these things? I really question that and say, do you, I mean, is it the best idea to do that anyway? So one of my theories and one of the things that I've always taught my students is, you know, when you're out in the field and you're doing Good Samaritan bystander rescue, no matter what level of training you are, the protocols are pretty much the same. Activate emergency medical services, begin protecting the person's uh, circulatory system, giving them rescue breathing, helping them if they have an obstructed airway, stopping bleeding, keeping them calm, covering them up with a sheet coat or blanket if they've got shock symptoms and stabilizing fractures and so on and so forth. You can use your advanced medical care to have better confidence and to be more sure and, and take control of the situation. I haven't run across very many situations where I have to use advanced medical care. So you're kind of safe either way. I mean, if you follow that type of philosophy, keep it basic and you'll be covered under the Good Samaritan Act and probably out of any type of lawsuit. Um, and it's the best care that the person needs in the first few minutes before emergency medical services arrive with all the suction, with all the advanced equipment, with the sterile technique and all those good things. So from Roy on Rescue, have a great day. Good question. Keep them coming. Email them to royonrescue at gmail.com. Love to answer them. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.